You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. Today we are going to be in Jonah, the book of Jonah, um, chapter one. If you have, the, I, I'm going to be reading out the NIV. So if you have a Bible app, click over there to the NIV so you can have the exact wording. Um, but why are we in Jonah? That seems like a weird follow-up to Easter and maybe a baptism service. Actually, I think it connects great with Easter and a baptism service. And so we'll talk about why. But I love this story. And I know many of you probably grew up as kids, hearing this story about Jonah getting swallowed by the whale, although it doesn't say whale, it says big fish, but that's, that's what we kind of grew up with, and you kind of picture the picture book of Jonah. Well, I want you to like, leave the children's school, um, the ch- children's high school behind. I want you to read this like it's for the first time and get all the nuance and the details that are happening in here. So chapter one, verse one, here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. All right, a little context here. Um, some people are like, man, it's, it's weird. They ran from the Lord in this way. Was he scared? Was he scared to go to this great big city in Nineveh? And it would make sense because this is the Assyrian empire that was rising in power, very strong. They were known for being a pretty vicious and cruel, brutal people. They developed some of the worst torture techniques known to man. And, um, and they had taken over a lot of different places and brutalized those cities and ransacked them. And so it would make sense that Jonah was not excited about going to the heart of the beast, all right? But I really don't think that was the issue here. He, and he prophesied during the period of about 780 to 750 BC, all right? This is short, this is about 30 to 50 years before the Syrians were going to come in and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel for their sin. So God was going to use the Assyrian Empire. But they had already, their, their heart was far from God. They were a vicious, cruel people. But I don't think it had anything to do with fear. I think the reason that Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with them, and you can look this from the context clues in the rest of the book, is that he didn't want God to change the hearts of these people. He thought these people deserved exactly what they had coming to them. God was pronouncing judgment, and he was like, yes, judge them, all right? Destroy them. Like, they've destroyed other people. And the fact that the Lord said, go and preach to Nineveh, he was like, "Eh, I don't think I'm going to do that. And he gets on a ship and goes the exact opposite direction, all right? So here, here we go. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. I love, I love the reaction of the, of the sailors here. I mean, this is, this is evidence support for the maxim. There are no atheists in a foxhole, right? Like, like when, when God, when your life is in danger and all is lost and you, your life is on the line, even the hardened atheist is like, oh God, help me. You know, like that's a natural human reaction here. And so I imagine these sailors were not like 
more godly and nicer than a lot of sailors throughout the history of time. They were known for being hard men, you know, going from port to port, not having a great reputation, right? And here are these hardened sailors who had seen many, many storms. They're freaking out. They're scared here. And they're seeing this, our lives are in danger here. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will, he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Again, more evidence that this was not about Jonah's lack of courage. He sees this. All these hardened sailors are scared to death. And he goes downstairs and falls asleep. He's not worried because he knows where he's going. He knows that, he's, he, that he knows his God. And so he just falls asleep and the captain comes down and is like, what are you doing? Verse seven, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Do you hear the panic? This is a lot of questions. Like, let the, let the man talk. One question at a time. They are, they're scared, all right? And they're like, what did you do to us? Now, I know this is a complete side point here, but I, I really want to understand this whole casting of lots. I mean, I've done research on it, but like, what, what's going on here? Because it, it's always right in the Bible. Was it right, like, outside the Bible often? Or is it just when God wanted to use this system? But essentially, they would throw, like, sticks and stuff and then somehow they would read the message or it would be pointing and they would, they would know who it was aligning to. And here they, they cast these, long, that would be very useful, right? Like you have a question for God and you're like, all right, God, tell me what to do. And then boom, he tells you and points in the right direction. Like who, oh, great for marriage, right? Like who's at fault here, God? Like point it out, point it out. And it's like, ha, see, you know, but that could be used and manipulated the wrong way. But so it's probably wouldn't work. All right, but just, yes, I would love to have this. But, I, but here it's clearly pointed at Jonah and, and Jonah is the one at fault. And so they look at him, they're asking these questions and this is what he says. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so which is a fascinating little tidbit. Like who comes on a ship and be like, yeah, I'm running for the Lord. Um, okay, come on in. And, and, then, and in hindsight, they're all going, this guy is running from the Lord. This is not good. And then he tells them, I serve the God of heaven and earth and the sea. The big one, right? Like the, the, the guy that's over it all. And they're like, no, not that God. Why would you do that? All right. And so they, they just don't know what to do here. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, we, we all know that this happens, but I want you to think about this for a second, all right? These people know that this is a man of God, and he is telling them, hey, this is my fault. Take me and throw me in the sea during this terrible storm. Now, 
if another man of God came to you today, modern day, and said, hey, this is my fault to fix this storm in the sea, you know, pick me up and throw me overboard, you better be right, all right? Because if you're not right, you're going to jail for murder. Like, that's what this is. This is, like, this is murder. And these, it's not lost in these people. If he gets thrown overboard, not, you know, 999,999 times out of a million, like the person's dead, right? And so they don't want to do it. You could say it's a testament to their character, how they respond. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. It's It's a remarkable, amazing story. And so they eventually get to the point where they they think they're all going to die. So what do they have to lose? And they pick them up. But I want you to notice their prayer. Their prayer is beautiful here. They, they, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. They understand what they're doing. But they are, they're in faith, they are hoping that this is the right move. And they're saying, please don't hold us on our conscience. And they throw him overboard and immediately, just like when Jesus said, be still to the wind and the waves with the disciples, immediately the sea is calm. There is no denying this. Like they see that and what do they do? Their immediate response and the only logical response is to start worshiping this God. And so I I love the fact that Jonah, godly man, did the wrong thing, made the wrong choices. But God used it for his glory. And that, that is the kind of guy we serve. So I want to take three things. There's a lot of things we could take, but I'm going to, I'm going to have three takeaways this morning. And see, here's the first one, and it's a pretty obvious one. What we need to do. Stop running from what God called you to do. Stop running from what God called you to do. If you are a child of God, you have been called by God to serve him. And that calling that he's put on your life is not small and insignificant. He has given you spiritual gifts to use for the church and to make an impact on the next life. He's called all of you. He's called all of us. We need to stop running away from that calling. So many times we act like Jonah and God will tell us to run away from this sin and we will run towards it. Or he'll tell us to go make that relationship right and be like, nah, I don't want to do that. Or he'll tell us to start serving in some capacity, get involved and be like, ah, that's out of my comfort zone. We tell no We tell God no all the time. And we are not embracing our calling. I very much was a Jonah. Um, I've shared this before, but when I was 19, I I was just on fire for the Lord. And I had had like a a personal, like talking back and forth relationship with God. It wasn't like I heard him audibly, but like an ongoing conversation, like pray without ceasing. I was doing that. I was involved. I was, I was connected. I was doing Bible studies and I was, I was just really on fire for the Lord until one night, 
Um, and, and the moment I, I felt like him, like it, it's never been this clear before that he was talking to me again, not audibly, but it was just, he talked to me, he told me very clearly to get rid of this, stop doing this and give, give my life to full-time ministry. And I did not want to give up this. I did not want to stop doing this. And I really didn't want to go into full-time ministry. All right. And so like in my mind, like I never, it never crossed my mind to be a pastor. Like that was too lofty a position. I didn't even know how you did that. Like I didn't have any plans to go to seminary. Um, but I thought like, what can I do? I, he's, he's going to make me be a missionary. He's going to make me be a missionary overseas. I'm going to go to some faraway land where I don't need a language. I don't know the culture. It's going to be really out of my comfort zone. And I don't want to do that. All right. And so I, I argued for, with him for like literally hours and, until out of exhaustion, I said, fine, fine, I'll do it. And the next morning I didn't do it. I didn't follow through. I didn't follow up. And I tried to serve God in my own way for years after that. And I did not hear clearly from God. From that point on, hourly, I was doing all the right things. I was going to church. I was involved. I was serving. I was giving. Everyone, I I was refraining from all the different sins and stuff like that. I was making a a lot of good choices, but I was a surface level Christian and I was not hearing clearly from God. And it led me down a path where I did start making foolish choices. And where that ultimately left me about seven, eight years later, was that I went through a very ugly divorce. Out of the blue, wife left me. And suddenly my whole world shifted, my whole identity, everything was was broken and lost. And that the only thing I could do was cling to my savior. And he had to like tear down so many things inside me and build me back up and help me see truth and all these different things, which brings me to the next point. And that is repentance brings restoration. Repentance brings restoration. I want to read now chapter two here because it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And again, we don't often think about how this actually played out. And you, you have a man drowning, going to the depths of the sea. Seaweed is wrapped around his head. He's sinking to the bowels of the sea. He's, he's lost. He's, he's, he's going to die. 
and here comes this big fish, which had to be terrifying, and swallows him. And there's a lot of skeptics out there, you know, that, that make fun of the Bible and make fun of Christianity because they believe in miracles and believe that uh, this could happen, all right? I, I laugh at, at the atheists because to me, like he, most people believe that a divine creator created the universe, right? Because it doesn't make any sense that, that nothing came from something or that how finely tuned this universe is that it just happened with random chance. So, so most scientists, you know, most people in general believe, well, yeah, there was a divine creator. So to think that there could be a creator that is so powerful that could make the billions and billions of galaxies and everything as small as our DNA and then into the minutiae of, of atomic level and all that kind of stuff, but can't tweak it in any way afterwards is really bizarre to me, all right? It doesn't make logical sense. And so I, I believe that this is a miraculous thing here, all right? It, if you were to go into a belly of a fish for three days, you would not come out looking well, all right? That would be very bad for you. You would die and your body would be eaten by acid and it would be really ugly, okay? I get all those things. But God, and some people believe that literally resurrected him from life. And he says, and he's crying out to God in, his, in, the, in the depths of the darkness here. And he's crying out and God brings, he restores him. And he's like, I, I will say that salvation is the Lord to, to these people. I will obey you this time. He gets it right. And what I love, I love about God is that his plan B's are just as good as his plan A's. He can take our terrible choices and redeem them, not to a secondary level, but to the very top level. There is nothing that he can't do. He can turn all things to, and make them together for the good of those who follow and serve him. I've seen this my first, first hand. Like, I don't know where my life would have gone, all right, if I would made good choices at the get-go. On some level, that probably would have been nice for me because the pain and suffering I would go through, because all people go through pain and suffering, wouldn't be self-inflicted. And that's a nice thing to have on your record, right? Not to have self-inflicted pain, all right? But the pain that I did go through prepared me for ministry. Without it, I, I, I would not be here. I can't imagine doing the ministry work that I'm doing now without that. And so God can restore all things. So if you are someone that has said no to God in the past, it is not too late. He has not given up on you. He is there standing at the door knocking and knocking hard. All he wants is for you to start opening that door, to start saying yes. And the more you say yes, the more that he will ask you and talk to you and work with you. And you, there, there's no glass ceiling for you, no matter what your past is. God has great things in store for you. Embrace them. If you go to Matthew and you, you see why he brought this up in the first place, and I, I, I love Jesus. He can have attitude, all right? He, like sometimes he just told it how it was. Never in sin, but sometimes you gotta be forceful. And in Matthew 12, 38, it says this. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we wanna see a sign from you. Again, he's, he's healing the lame. He's making the blind see. He's, he's doing miracles all the time. They're like, give us more. Do it, like bring angels down and show us your glory. Then we'll believe. And this is his response. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, 
but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. He tells them, I've shown you enough. And, and today, I, how many people say why they don't believe in God is like, well, why doesn't he make it easier? Why doesn't he make it clearer? Why won't he just come and reveal himself and, and, and prove it? Like, give me a, a Paul Tarsus kind of situation. And his response is that, that only an evil, adulterous generation needs more than what I've already given you. The nature speaks for itself. And if you have nothing else, I lived my life here on earth. I died a brutal death. And then I rose from the dead. And there are hundreds of firsthand witnesses to this. And and it's recorded in a book that I have supernaturally preserved over time so that you have the truth in your hands. And that's not enough. That's all I'm giving you, my death and resurrection. And that's what he's referring back to Jonah. Jonah is a symbol of Christ's death and resurrection, just as baptism is a symbol of Christ's death and resurrection. We go into the water to symbolize Jesus going into the grave for our sins. And we bring that person back up out of the water as a symbol of his resurrection from the grave. We're identifying with his death and resurrection. And I love, we had 19 people up here testifying before a public audience that say, I identify with Christ's death and resurrection. They took their next step. They said yes to the Lord as they felt a prompting on their heart to do something. What is your next step? My last point is a challenge to you and a reminder, and it's this. To those who are given much, much is expected. To those who are given much, much is expected. This is coming directly from Jesus' own words in chapter 12 of Luke. Says this, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. It may seem strange that God was so heavy handed with Jonah. I mean, okay, he says no. To God. You're going to chase him with a storm that puts in all, all, danger all these lives on the ship? And you're going to make them throw him overboard and be swallowed by a fish? That's an extreme discipline right there. That's an extreme response to Jonah turning away from God and saying no. But Jonah was a mighty prophet of God. And the standard for God's prophets is if you refuse to say what the Lord gave you. You refuse to give the people the message he put on your heart. That was a death sentence. And if you said that these words were from God and they weren't really from God, it was a false prophecy, that could also be a death sentence. Now, it was a fallen world that didn't often punish prophets in this way, but the way God's standards looked at it is, I have called you, I have given you a direct revelation, and you're not gonna share those words That's why he held Jonah to this level of accountability. But I want you to think about what he has given us. 
because he has given us more than he's given Jonah. Before Jesus' death, no one had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every child of God has the great advocate, the true teacher, the teacher of all truth, to guide us every step of the way. That is tremendous power and responsibility that we've been given. And to live in the generation that we live today in in America, and I know things are trending in, in, in a very awful direction that has turned away from God, but we still have religious freedom here. We live in tremendous luxury compared to the rest of the world and compared to history. And we have unprecedented access to information. If you want to seek the truth, you can find it. There are teachers all over the world teaching truth from God's word. And there is evidence that this, this word is true. So we, real, we have no excuse. We've been given much. So much is expected of us. And so I don't want to be a church that has been given so much. And man, Renovation Church has been blessed in so many ways. I don't want to be a church that takes our blessing and gets comfortable and doesn't go and fulfill the Great Commission. There is a world out there that is lost and broken and doesn't understand the truth. And we've been called to share that salvation. Jonah didn't go at first because he didn't like the people that he had to take the message to. It was going to be hard. Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to love everyone. Everyone is our neighbor. We have no excuse not to treat everyone we come in contact with, with love and respect. And that will be hard sometimes. Sometimes they will spit in our face. They will yell at us. They will shout us down. They will mistreat us. But we're to turn the other cheek and keep pursuing them to the best of our ability. Sometimes we need to walk away and it's not the right timing. But, uh, But we have to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting. We have access to it. But the more you say no, the harder it is to hear from God. On the other hand, the more you say yes, the clearer it is to hear from God. Let's be a church that says yes. Let's pursue God with our whole heart, saying yes to everything he puts on our heart and lead as many people as possible to the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace with such a stubborn, stubborn, hard-hearted people. You have blessed us so richly. You have given us so much. And we are leaving so much on the table. But I pray that this church will motivate each other to do works of, of love and goodwill. I pray that you will give us a burden for the people that are lost, the sheep that are wandering out there without a shepherd. I pray that we will be the people that go out and be your hands and feet and show them the love of Christ. Give us wisdom and discernment as we attempt to do that and do it in the right way, not in a I'm right kind of way, not in a condescending kind of way, but in a way that shows a genuine care and concern and empathy and love for people. Give us your heart, Lord. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop pursuing us. And soften our heart to receive whatever it is that you say. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. As always, the prayer team will be down here. Please use them if you need it. Church, we love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.